Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. So today we are wrapping up a series called The Blessed Life. And The Blessed Life is all about, uh, basically about your finances. We've been talking about that. The first week we talked about uh, how money has, it has the potential to be the number one contender, or rather is the number one contender for that place in our heart that God wants to hold. And so we, we discussed the first week how money reveals our heart, makes us more of what we already are on the inside. And then the second week, we talked about tithing. We talked about honoring God with our finances, placing Him first. In fact, the big takeaway from it was it's, it's, uh, it's faith when given first was the big takeaway from that. If you'd like to catch up on those two messages and, and see how you can honor God in your finances, uh, those, those will be a blessing to you. Those are available on our app. You can just click on the sermons and you can listen to all of those there. But, uh, but today, we're going we're gonna to continue in our journey because I know a lot of us have no idea how to go about getting rid of this grip that money has on our life. You say, all right, Aaron, I heard your messages the first week. I, we've identified the problem. Then I heard last week, yes, I, wanna, I want to give, maybe even take that step of faith and begin tithing. But I just don't know how to go about doing it because it doesn't make financial sense to me. So today, I'm going to go through some things that, that are just some... Uh, some, some keys to living this life that honors God with your finances and living uh, some practical tools, rather, that, that, uh, that you can do that, okay? So uh, I believe that this, this journey in honoring God with our finances, of course, always begins with repentance and prayer. Repentance is literally turning away from something. When we say, I've repented, it means that this is the way I was going, and now I'm going to walk this direction, right? So that's what repentance means. So we start with prayer, and we humble ourselves and say, Lord, we've, we've messed this thing up. No matter what it is in our life, what area it is, we've messed it up, and we need your help. And then the repentance continues as you walk the other way. And so today, we're going to talk about how you walk this out and how you do this. And um, it's all very, very practical stuff. And so uh, there has to be a response to that repentance in order for it to stick, in order for it to honor God. Because we can say things. You've heard that uh, phrase, uh, talk is cheap, right? And, and it is. Talk is really cheap. God's looking for action behind it. So a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk to you about today is from a guy named Dave Ramsey. There's a book called The Total Money Makeover. And uh, this guy's on the radio and, and is an author and has some incredible principles for your financial life that my wife and I have applied to our lives. And we've seen uh, my wife and I are currently out of debt with the exception of our house and my car, and, uh, and we are, are, are thankful for that position that God has brought us to, but I'll talk about how we got there. So before I begin, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day, for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, Lord, we just, I'm just thankful for everybody who's come, and uh, Lord, for those who were not able to be here today, keep your hand upon them, but those that are here, Lord, those that are, are listening through the podcast, those that are watching live broadcast through Periscope, God, Lord, we just ask that you would open our hearts that we could hear your word today and receive it and, and be changed, to walk a different way as a result of this encounter with you. Uh, that's the greatest thing that I could ask, Lord. And then my personal request, God bless the Buckeyes in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, and so I have a question for you. How many of you guys have ever done anything stupid with money? Raise your hand. Let's see them. Some of you need to raise two hands. I think I saw two hands back there. I have both hands straight up. I have done some dumb stuff with money, Aaron. 
Dave Ramsey, in his book, he calls that when you do stupid things with money, he, call, he calls it paying the stupid tax, right? How many of you guys have paid the stupid tax? I've paid plenty of stupid tax in my life. In fact, I, I bet some of you would be willing to say, Aaron, I'm still paying the stupid tax. I'm still doing it. So that's me. I'm, I'm, in, I'm there. But when we look into the scripture, I think that God has called us to be people that are different. In fact, the word used is peculiar, right? He says he's called us to be a different kind of people, to live in such a way that people would look at us and go, there's something different about those guys. And I want what they have. It's called countercultural. It is God's way of doing things. Around here, we call it being the shiny, right? It's living that life of shiny. It's, it's people see it and go, wow, there's something there that I'm missing. And, and let's be honest, I think all of us here have struggled with finances at some point in your life because we aren't born with this understanding of how to deal with money. We get money and we go, wahoo, party! We're excited, right? That's what happens when we get a little bit of money. And uh, so I, I understand we've all struggled with it. As a young man, I struggled with it. You know, I got my first credit card and I maxed it. And I was like, well, that was awesome. That felt really good. You know, Bill hadn't showed up yet. I better call Discovery and get a second card. So I got a second one and I maxed that one out. I bought a whole bunch of stuff. I was working at Gap, man. I maxed it out, used my employee discount. I looked nice in my Gap clothes. It was back in the day when Gap was cool, you know. Anyway, so I, I maxed out my cards, and then, then I went and got a car that was really, really nice. It was way beyond my means. It was, it was uh, uh, the, the Grand Ams, man, Pontiac Grand Am. When they changed the body style, man, that thing looked like a beast, and I had to have that thing. And so I went and got it, and, uh, and, and next thing I know, I, I was in financial ruin. I was living at the max of what I could handle. And, and when, when any kind of, of trial or tribulation came into my life, I was fretting. I was worrying. And the next thing you know, I get married and I can't handle my debt and I can't handle her debt at the same time. And next thing I know, the bill collectors are calling and my car is getting repossessed and I'm filing bankruptcy and my marriage is over before it started. And Look, I'm telling you that because I want you to know that I'm not talking down to anybody today, okay? I've been there. And so these, some of these things that I'm going to talk about today, if not all of them, are things that my wife and I have applied to our lives and God has blessed us. And I want you to experience that same kind of blessing, that same kind of freedom. And, and, uh, and so, so just know that that's why I share that. I, I know what it's like to be completely rock bottom. I know what it's like to not want to pick up your phone because the creditors are calling and they use different numbers every time they call. I know what it's like to have those tough conversations. I get it. I've been there. So just know, and don't feel any con condemnation if you're there. If you're there in that place, if you're either at a place where the wheels are getting ready to fall off the car or the wheels have already fallen off and you are in financial ruin, if you're at that place, don't feel condemnation for me because today you get to make a decision. You get to make a decision to be different, okay? <clears throat> And a lot of us, think we want to go about getting our finances fixed, but we really don't know how to do it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because I think it's sad that 70% of the families in America today are living paycheck to paycheck. It means if they don't get their paycheck this week, they're done for. They've got no room for margin in their life. They've got no room for emergency. If anything big happens, they are broke. And I would say that money, the reason we're concerned about this is because money is a major stressor in our life. They say that 52% of marriages uh, end... Uh, in divorce. And of those marriages, when they end in the first seven years, 90% of those marriages end because of money issues. The truth is, is most people don't do well with money. I mean, think about it. Out of 100 people that you may know, how many of those people would you honestly say are wealthy? Two, maybe three? If you're being honest and looking at their life. So what is our issue with money? Dave Ramsey says that money has a lot to do with behavior. 
It's this idea of sowing and reaping. You know what sowing and reaping is? Anybody, any farmers out here? Anybody with a green thumb? We've got a farmer right here. You understand what sowing and reaping is. If I plant a seed, then something is going to grow of like kind. So if I put corn in the ground, give it, a, give it some time, water it, fertilize it, that thing's going to grow up some corn. Is that right, Dan? Yeah. yeah, that's the way that should work. And usually, if you just put one kernel in the ground, you get how many thousands of kernels out of that one kernel, right? Lots. Lots. We don't, I don't even, we don't even know the numbers. It doesn't matter. It's thousands. We're just going to call it that. And you spell thousand, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. Sorry. You had to be here at the first part of service to enjoy that. Or maybe you didn't enjoy it. But anyway, when we sow stupid, when we, do, when we do ridiculous things with our money, we reap the consequences of that, right? We reap that heartache. We reap desperation. Ultimately, we have to look at our lives and take inventory and go, my money issues are Riley's fault. No, they're not. They're not your fault. My money issues are my fault. They're my issue. We have to be honest with ourselves and say, this is it. Me, I'm the one because I spend more than I make. I'm the one that goes to the edge of the limits of of how much I can use and how much I can spend. I'm the one who creates no financial margin in my life. I'm the one who ultimately lacks financial discipline. Oh, discipline. We don't like that word, do we? We don't like that word because it's a daily thing. It's a grind. It just feels uncomfortable to us. It doesn't say soft and comfortable like credit. It's just not, it's just, it's not welcoming. Dave Ramsey says that personal finance is 80% behavior and 20% knowledge. Now I say this quite often that I think that, that as Christians and in general people, we are educated way beyond our level of obedience. Think about what that means. We know about lots of stuff, but we don't do lots of stuff. We're kind of 80% knowledge, 20% behavior, right? It's like you know, all the fad diets that are out there. I can tell you about every single one of them. You know why? Because I tried them for a little bit. I kind of halfway tried them. I'm 80% knowledge, 20% behavior. But Ramsey says it's more about the behavior and less about the knowledge. You need a little bit of knowledge, and then you need to act on it. It's small things, little things that make a big difference. And when we do that, when we sow in with behaviors based on the knowledge that we have, then we will reap the benefits of that knowledge. It does take time. And so we need to look around our culture, and we need to realize that everyone... Uh, around us is living the way that they're living is not working we have to be different in order to honor god with our finances in other words if your broke friends aren't looking at you and making fun of the way that you're living because you won't do all the things that they do you won't buy all the stuff that they buy you don't have the newest shiny you don't have the newest iphone you don't have the newest car if, if your broke friends aren't looking at you and making fun of you then you're doing something wrong because you're living just like they are and that's not what god has intended for your life so what we're going to do is we're going to look in the Bible today. If you need a Bible, by the way, we would love to bless you with one. We believe that God's word is absolutely true and it is useful for living and guiding our life. We would love to give you one. Just shoot your hand up like this and we'll get you one of those. But verses will also be up in the screen and we'll be in John 5 today. A little bit of background on what this is. is Jesus walks up to this pool called Bethesda. And this pool Bethesda has like this mystical, uh, this, this, uh, we don't know if, it, if it's true or real or not, but essentially here's what it is. It's a pool that an angel supposedly comes down into, and when he troubles the water, if you are sick and you get into the water, then you are healed. And so Jesus walks up on this pool Bethesda, and he sees a guy who's been laying there, and he inquires about the guy, and they said, that guy's been lame. Now, I don't mean like L7 weenie lame. I mean like he's lame, his legs don't work, Okay. And, uh, and, and he's laying there. He's been laying there for 38 years. This may be the whole of his life. We're not really sure how old he is, but we know he's been there for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him, 
decides to do something about it and says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now that seems like a really, a really weird question, right? Lame guy, you've been laying there for so long. Do you want to get well? Well, of course he wants to get well. Duh. But he, watch what happens. What this guy does when Jesus says, do you want to get well, is I think what we oftentimes do. He starts offering excuses to Jesus. Instead of saying, yes, what do I need to do to be well? He says, well, you don't understand. When the angel comes down and he stirs the water, I can't get in because somebody always steps in front of me and I got nobody to help me and I just, I can't. I was, I, I, he just offers excuses. And I think that's what happens in our finances. I think we're the same way. Whenever we say, do you want to be well financially? You say, well, I can't because I, I got things that I want and I need and I don't have enough money and I just, you know, you don't understand what it's like for me and where I came from and my family's broke and I've always been broke. And we just offer excuses. We offer excuses to him, but Jesus isn't interested in that. He wants to know, do you want to get well? Because here's what I know about money. One of our biggest excuses is well, we don't have enough. I don't have enough to make it right, so I have to just stay this course. But truthfully, with money, enough is never enough, is it? It's never enough. I've, I've managed businesses for years, and every year, at the end of the year, when we've hit our financial goal, do you know what our next year goal is? Bigger, better. Why? Because we feel like we need more. We need to have more. There's no amount of money to a business that is enough. And it's the same for us personally. There is no amount of money that you can get, that you can amass, you can acquire. Even if you got a million dollars and you earned it in one year, you look and say, I wonder if I can get two. Why? Because money is one of those things that promises to deliver satisfaction. It promises to deliver you contentment. It promises to deliver you safety, security, all these things. But none of it is found in that. And once you reach a certain level financially, you go, man, I... I could be a little more secure if I had some more. I could have a little more satisfaction if I had some more. We think to ourselves, we'll we'll be able to get there if we just have more. But money will never be enough. Think about it. Like even with your kids, and, and I'm this way too, you know, I got the, who's got the brand new iPhone, iPhone 6? It's not quite brand new anymore, but you got the iPhone 6. You know what I'm talking about. When that sucker hit the store shelves, and even beforehand, you had spent your money. You had paid the price. You had called up your AT&T or Verizon or whoever and said, do I qualify for the new phone? And they said yes, and you said, thank you, Jesus. And you ordered the new phone, and it showed up a few days after it was released, and you were so excited. It was your brand new shiny. It was your toy. You pet it, and you hugged it, and you went to sleep with it on your pillow. And you said, good night, iPhone. And Siri said back, good night, cuddle muffin, because that's what you call yourself for whatever reason. I don't know why. It's awkward for everybody in this room that you do that, by the way. So you get this new phone, and you get so excited, but then... Guess what? Six months after you get it, they're announcing iPhone 7 is on its way. Oh, and you are just, you are freaking out. You know that iPhone 6 that you used to sleep with in the bed? It's now sleeping on the couch downstairs. You know what I'm saying? Like you are so excited about iPhone 7. Why? Because enough is never enough. That's why there's an iPhone 6. (laughs) Because the first one, it wasn't enough. There's newer, there's shinier, and we want that. We chase after it. We pursue it because we are not satisfied by these things. We think we will be. We pursue. We save. We work hard to get the money to get those things. But they never satisfy us in the end. They never do. And money and stuff is the great deceiver, right? Because it promises us that kind of satisfaction. In the end, it just doesn't give it. I would say that making money is kind of like the equivalent to eating Chinese food, right? You eat Chinese food and an hour later you are hungry and ready to go again to eat. Amen? Can I get a witness? All right, there's a few of you out there. 
So making money is that way. You get some, and man, you think you're going to be satisfied because it's a huge plate of food, General Tso's with some fried rice and some soy sauce. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been a while since General So and I met. <clears throat> but in the end, you'll be hungry for more. So the satisfaction that we're longing for, truthfully, is only found in God. He's the only one that the moment you take, partake of him, that he satisfies you. Jesus said, I'm the living water. If you're thirsty, come and drink of me, and you'll never thirst again. That's a done deal. And God promises you that, but money tries to get you. So... Since that money is contending for that place in your heart, let's, let's take a look at some five key principles that will help you financially, help you get free. And uh, again, these, these are from Dave Ramsey. And I promise you, these are not instant fixes. We want instant everything, instant oatmeal, instant burger. We want it all instant, but these are not instant. These will take time, but you will reap the benefit of it if you're willing to put them to work. So if you've got your connection card, it would be a great time to flip it over and write some of these down because I'm going to talk fast. Here we go. First thing you need to do is get a written game plan. Get a written game plan. What does that mean? AKA or also known as budget. Oh, we hate the word budget because budget is so constricting, like a new t-shirt or something. It's like, ah, I can't. I don't have freedom to move about if I budget, Aaron. I don't get to do what I want to do if I budget. But, but here's what Jesus said about this. He says in Luke 14, 28 through 30, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. What is Jesus talking about? A plan. You need to have a plan, a written plan, something you decide and say, this is what we're going to do, and that's a budget. Let me ask you something. What if you ran your business the way you ran your personal finances? I know some people that are really great at the shop or at their job or wherever they are, keeping track of every penny and making sure that they meet their goals financially in the business world. But as soon as they get home, they are a wreck. They are into debt up to their eyeballs. You know what I'm saying? They are a mess financially. Would anybody hire you if you really ran your business finances the way you run your personal ones? Would anybody? A budget is a great way to make sure that your money works for you and not you for your money. Budget will help you get your spending habits under control. Be perfectly honest with you, until you do a budget, you have no idea where you're spending your money. To be honest with you, I can't remember what I ate yesterday or where I ate, let alone if I ate out or at home. I, I can't remember that information. And so a budget, if you decide to decide, say, hey, this is how many times or this is how much money we can spend going out to eat, you'll know all that kind of stuff. The first time I did our budget, it was my wife and I, we sat down, and really she was Facebooking and I was budgeting, but she was, ne- she was near me though, so I include her in the conversation, and, uh, and I love you, but it's, it's a true story, it is true, and uh, <laughs> I looked, I was like, dear Lord, did we really spend that kind of money going out to eat this month? Did I really spend that kind of money on Starbucks this month? It was a massive amount, it's like, that's a car payment right there, it's like, you can eat out this much or you can have a car payment. That motorcycle you've always wanted, you can have it, but you've got to make some cuts. You, you'll never see that unless you create a written plan. I think the issue is, though, that we, we have a tendency to manage our money by looking in the rearview mirror behind us instead of looking out the windshield. What does that mean? That means that we allow our decisions, our financial decisions, to be directed by where we've been. In other words, we spend our entire month just spending our money, spending our money, spending our money, and then whenever we need to buy something important, we look and see where we've been to see if we have enough to do it. That's looking behind you. 
But a budget allows you to look forward and say, this is the goal, this is where we're going, and this is how we're going to get there. It's different. One controls you, but when you budget, you control it. You have a game plan. You need to be able to do that. Budgets look forward on purpose. I would tell you this, that if you're married, you need to talk about this. When I sit down with, with couples that are getting ready to get married, I do counseling with them. I do three sessions because there are three things that will wreck every marriage, and that is sex, communication, and money. And so I say, sit down and talk about money and do it early. Get a budget in, in orders because if you don't, you're going to fight over it all the time. Think about it. You don't need to answer this. I don't need to see hands. But if you're married, how often do you fight about money? Because let's be honest, there's one of you that's a spender and one of you is a saver. You know what I'm saying? And those two, you butt heads. I see lots of smiles out there and you know exactly who you are in that scenario, right? But you butt heads. And how often do you butt heads? Once or twice a week, once or twice a day, once or twice an hour, and it's all over money. If you budget, you guys will come together and you'll look at your money once a month and you can fight then. See, I just saved all you just like years and years of counseling and therapy. Fight once a month instead of every day. Budget, plan, there'll be no more fighting. God desires unity in our marriages and that's just one way that he gives us so that we can all be on the same page is having a budget. The second thing you need to do is act your wage. That I didn't misspeak and I didn't, I didn't misprint that. You need to act your wage. What does that mean? Well, that means if you don't have the money, quit spending it. You can't run around living your life spending money that you don't have, and yet we find out that the average American spends 2 to 3% more than what they earn. 2 to 3% more. How do they do that? Credit cards, plastic, cha-ching. We're able to go out and buy anything we need to. We didn't work for it. My kids, they try to borrow money from me all the time. I'm like, nope, you didn't earn it. You don't spend it. That's the way we ought to be. You need to act your wage. You can't have all the nice stuff that everybody else has if you don't work for it, if you didn't earn it in the first place. Again, I tell younger couples this because a lot of times I talk to them and I say, where are you guys going to live? And they say, well, there's this really nice house and it's in my parents' neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) you are in trouble because they want to start their life out where their parents are currently in life. They think, well, mom and dad's got this 2,400 square foot home and they live in a nice suburb in in Reynoldsburg and and I'm going to go there, I'm going to live there too. And, and, And they wind up spending all of their money. That's why marriages end so quickly because they are stressed. They are pressed to the limit so that they can live the way mom and dad do. And really, mom and dad are like at the at the precipice of their income, you know, the, of, of their lives. They have saved and earned and and are able to live in a nice house like that because they've made wise decisions over time. And the new couples, they're like, man, I'm gonna jump into life right where they're at. I'm gonna have nice clothes, I'm gonna have a nice car, and they are setting themselves up for ruin. They're setting themselves up for ruin. Some of you need to act your wage. It means you don't get to live and spend like everybody else does. Some of you, instead of going into Starbucks and getting that Starbucks once or twice a week or once or twice a day, whatever it is for you, some of you just need to walk into Starbucks and go, and step back out. And on your way back to the car, you can pray that God will give you a gift card through somebody for your birthday or for Christmas so that you can enjoy the sweet nectar of heaven that is Starbucks. Some of you need to, that's acting your wage. If you can't afford it, you don't get to behave that way. You need to draw some boundaries. Act your wage. In uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Look, the enemy wants us to take our eyes off of what we have and focus on what we don't have. We, we lack contentment. 
we are not satisfied with what we have. Even if all of our needs are met, we lack that contentment. We lack that gratefulness, that thankfulness for, hey, I've got everything that I need right now. Godliness, living a life in a way that honors God with contentment is what we need. There is much to gain from that. I mean, because let's be honest, we're not Congress. We can't spend money we don't have. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no fans of that, huh? Look, things will continually change. It will get better and it will get worse. You will have more money than you have today and you'll have less money than you have today. Things will continually change. And the Bible says that a fool spends all that he has. And the problem is, is when we begin to look at our neighbors, we look at their house, we look at their cars, we look at their clothes, we look at everything that they have, their technology, we look at their date nights, we look at everything that they're doing, we follow on Facebook, we like all their pictures, and like, gosh, they're having so much fun, they're spending so much money, why can't I be like that? And you try to be like that, but the truth is, if you were to look at their lives, they're probably financially a disaster. They're up to, they're, 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 de- they're sinking in debt all around them. And it is devouring everything. And they are overstretched financially. They are stressed out personally and relationally. And they're headed towards disaster in their relationships and their finances. And the sad thing to me is that this is completely normal in our country. It's completely normal that everybody lives this way. That we buy whatever we need to before we've earned it. If you want something, let me, let me tell you this. This is a practice that I personally cannot wait to try. Because I only recently learned it in the last month. If you want to buy something big, I learned something called practicing the payment. Do you know what that means? If my housing was, is like $1,000 a month right now, and I want to move into housing that's $1,500 a month, I need to practice that payment for three months. What does that look like? Well, that means I pay my housing, $1,000, and that $500 above and beyond, I sock it away. I put it away to a savings account to see if I can manage that, to see if that hurts my life, to see if it's okay for me to make those payments for the next three months. You say, but Aaron, three months is a long time to wait. Well, hold on, Veruca. Let me tell you, there's actually a benefit for you, okay? I'm glad you're here and you laughed at that. Nobody laughed for a service. Don't care how I want it now. Come on, it's Willy Wonka. Nobody? (sighs) But if you practice that payment, here's two benefits that you receive. Three months of payments, you're socking away that $500 or whatever that amount is. You now got it as a down payment for whatever you're going you're gonna to buy. And if you don't, if you can't make that payment, if it hurts too much, you now have a wise decision that you can make. If it's really good for you, if you can answer these questions in a favorable way, if you can say, can I still pay my bills? Yeah, I can pay my bills. Can I still give generously? Yeah, I can do that. Am I fighting over money with my spouse? No. Are we stressed? No, I don't, I don't feel so. Well, then go ahead and make that purchase. When you practice that payment, you have the benefit of the deposit and peace. Oh, peace. Peace is something you lose the moment you sign that dotted line and you haven't practiced that payment. You lose it because you're not sure if you can actually do it. You hope you can. You think you can, but you haven't really tried it. So the question is, what is your plan? If you continue down this path and don't change anything drastically, what will happen? Will your kids be able to go to college? Will you be able to have retirement? We need to have a plan, and we need to act our wage. All right, the third thing you need to do is save money. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Look, I've been the fool more than once, spending every single dollar I have on every single thing I can get my hands on and not saving a dime. But we have to save. Why? Because things will go wrong. Things are going to go wrong. Tires blow out. Furnaces quit working. Things go wrong. You'll lose income. Maybe you'll lose a job. 
bad things happen to good people, and we need to save for rainy days. I know what you're thinking. Way to be positive, Aaron. Look, I am being positive. Positive that it's going to rain. It's going to happen. You say, well, life is not fair. Look, I always, whenever I hear that phrase, I hand somebody a Bible, and I say, show me in the Bible where it says it's going to be fair. If you can find that chapter and verse, I would love to have it because I have a serious conversation I need to have with God. Life is not fair, and you said it would be right here. He promises he'd be with you. He doesn't promise you it would be fair. In fact, he says celebrate it when it's not. Oh, we don't like that stuff. Tell me good verses, Aaron. <laughs> Here's what we need to do when we save. Save for an emergency. Dave Ramsey says you should save up three to six months of your income. You say, wow, that's going to take some work. Yeah, it is. It's going to take some time. But it'll, it'll be great for you. He says, save up cash to spend on things. Cash. How many of you guys save cash? I got a little jar in my bedroom that is, has nothing to do, and I talked about it last week. It's my honey don't know money. And of course, she's sitting here, so she knew about it. Anyway, I blew my cover. But, but this cash sits in my bedroom, and it doesn't get spent. Why? Because it hurts to spend it. When it's green dollar bills in your hand, it's really hard to spend. They, they did a study at MIT. They put an MRI, put, did an MRI with people to, to measure their brain activity. And when people go to pay with cash, it triggers a sensor somewhere in their brain that is the same place that that pain sensor goes off. When you are experiencing personal physical pain, it's the same place in your brain that gets activated when you spend cash. It's like, here you go, Jeremy. Here you go, bud. Oh. Oh. I practiced this. I rehearsed this. Can't do it can't do it. It's painful. Can't do it. It's like listening to a Nickelback album. I just can't do it. It's too much. So much pain. They said cash triggers that pain. So when you spend cash, so keep cash. If you're going to save up cash to spend on something, do that. that. During this study, they also did a test of when people use their credit cards. And you know what part of the brain it triggered? Absolutely nothing. Why? I don't know. When, the, when they used plastic and they spent the money, it was like, woo They felt no pain. Save up cash. Spend cash. There's also this, this whole idea of, of doing envelopes and keeping the cash in the, in the different categories, whether it's out to eat or vacations or clothes, groceries. I can talk more about that personally or privately with you. But, but he also says save for wealth building. This is how we save. They say that if you take $100 and from the age of 30 to 70, saved $100 a month, that by the time you were done, you would have $1,176,000. That's incredible, staggering numbers, $100 a month. These are behaviors over time like he talks about. Fools spend everything they get, but wise people invest. Fourth thing you can do, get out of debt. This is the hardest one. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Not once in Scripture does God say, and, look, and he, Jesus looked around and he saw their debt and it was good. Like this just doesn't happen. It's not scriptural. God doesn't look at your debt and say, hey, that's a good thing for you. Now, God, there's no condemnation for the debt that we're in, but he doesn't look at it and say it's good. In fact, the only debt that we are supposed to have is a continuous debt to love, to love our fellow man. That is the only debt that is condoned from the Apostle Paul. And God doesn't love us any less if we are in or out of debt, just to be clear. Because we've all felt the stress of being in debt, right? The stress is like the master's whip on our backs, and I think that's why they call it MasterCard. Oh, wow. Two services, it fell flat. Imagine what your life would be like if you had no debt. Imagine what it would be like. 
Some of you, you'd be able to go to the mailbox again because, you know, you ain't going right now because all the bills that are there, you'd be like excited. Maybe there's a check in here today, you know? That's how I walk to my mailbox. I'm excited because I know bills are not going to be there. It's an exciting day. But what would it feel like if you had to make no payments? If you owe, didn't owe anybody anything, what would you be able to do? Debt is the worst poverty, says Thomas Fuller. So how do we get out of debt? One of two things have to happen and get out of debt. You either need to make more money or you need to spend less. You say, well, Aaron, I can't really make more money. I'm kind of at the limit of what I can do right now in my job and life and family. Great. Then option two is for you. Spend less. We can all spend a little less money, can't we? We can all find ways to cut back on what we, what we spend it on. Here's a simple plan to get out of debt. And this is, again, this is Dave Ramsey's. This is his, his part of his money makeover. It's called the, the, uh, the Snowball Debt Reduction. Uh, he says, first, get $1,000 emergency fund. So that way, if an emergency happens, you got that covered. Then he says, tackle your smallest debt first. Pay it off completely. And whatever the monthly commitment to that was, if it's 25 bucks, once it's paid off, keep that $25 payment and add it to the next smallest debt. And then once that's paid off, whatever the two payments were that you were making there monthly, take them and add them to the next one. And the next one. And you snowball and things. My wife and I used this to pay off all of our debt. Now, it took us nearly three years to pay off everything, but it was incredible. Like, we did a happy man dance, Snoopy. We danced. We got excited when we paid off all of our debt. It was an incredible day because we used that debt reduction, the snowball plan to do it. But I want you to think of all the stress that would be off of your back if you eliminated the debt in your life, if you were living debt-free. One more thing you can do in order to, uh, to live your life in a God-honoring way with your finances. And this may sound counterintuitive, but it's give. It's give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Look, it's God's design that we would be the most generous people in the world. That his people would live their lives in such a way, giving generously, that people would take note. Say, wow, there's, there's just something different about them. And God is looking for people that he can use to bless others through. Generosity should not be something we do, but it should be something that we are. And our culture says, whenever we talk about giving, our culture says, well, I don't really have enough to give. And what you really mean is, I'm afraid that if I give, I won't have enough for me. That's what you're saying. There's no faith there. There's no trust there. But when it comes to being generous, I want to encourage you, those of you who are on that, that, that edge, you're like, all right, I want to start this giving thing. Maybe I want to start, I want to tithe. I want to, I want to be generous. When it comes to being generous, I want to encourage you to start where you are. You don't need to give as much as the person next to you. You need to give what you can. You need to give what you're able. You need to give as the Spirit leads you. Now, there are three different kinds of givers, and, and I'm closing with these, these three givers. Spontaneous givers. Spontaneous givers are the kind of people who, when they see a need, they jump to meet it. They're like, yeah, I can, I can help with that. I got some cash in my pocket. I'm going to give out to that. This is a, like if you see a homeless guy on the street, you're gonna, and he's got a sign that says, we'll work for food or could use some cash, God bless. You're going to jump to it, and you're going to give it to him. That's a spontaneous giver. And spontaneous giving is great. However, I would tell you that spontaneous giving limits God's impact through you because it's not a deliberate lifestyle uh, committed to giving. It's only a, rea- a reaction. But it, I would tell you it's a great place to start. The second kind of giver is the strategic giver. These are givers that plan ahead to be generous. 
They've incorporated it into their budget. They've set aside money every month, whether it's for tithes, offerings, givings, whatever it is. They have decided this is how it's going to be, and they've made a plan. They're strategic about it. I love the Bianchis. The Bianchis do this all the time. They, they, it, instead of handing cash to a guy on the street, they prepare food. They have food bags, like brown paper sacks, right, right that have fruit bars and different kind of snacks and food in it that, that they can keep in their car. They go grocery shopping. They plan it. You know what I'm saying? So that when they see a guy, they can go, here you go, roll down their window, and they hand it to him. They're planning. They have made a strategic plan to do that. It's built into their budget. It's built into their lifestyle. I mean, because let's be honest, that food didn't just appear in your car, did it, Chris? No, it doesn't just appear there. Sometimes it disappears, but that's a whole other thing. But wouldn't that be great, like, if food did appear, like, you went out to your car, and there was, like, a bag with Chipotle in it, you know what I'm saying, and it was, like, exactly how you like your burrito, you know what I mean? God, I pray heaven's that way. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) I've had two moments with food today. That's really weird. I mean, maybe I need to eat. Point is, you've got to plan ahead. If you want to be a giver, a strategic giver, you've got to plan ahead. The third kind of giver is a sacrificial giver. And this is the person who gives when it hurts. This is the person who hasn't built that margin into their life, but they're going to go without so that somebody else can have. This, this is somebody, these are kind of people who give things. They give possessions away. They give their money away. They live their life like none of it has any hold on them because it doesn't. Because God has a hold of their heart. They are people who live in a way that would blow most people's minds. They're just generous. They have... There's nothing holding them back from giving the shirt off of their back. But could you imagine that kind of lifestyle? Could you imagine what it would feel like to have God speak to your heart and say, you need to go give your car, give the keys and your car to somebody down the street? And how freeing it would be to go, okay. Some of you, that, that scares you. Ooh, I don't know if I could do that. Now, I've given away two cars in my lifetime, but I'll be honest with you, I gave them away when I had another car lined up. But it takes faith to give it before you have anything else lined up. How freeing would that be? You say, Aaron, that's not freeing. That's crazy. No, 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 no. I promise you. It would be freeing to be able to give in a way that you could blow somebody's mind that way. And many sacrificial givers, they're very wealthy. But they're not wealthy because they're chasing after wealth. They're chasing after wealth so that they can bless other people with it. There's a difference there. Margaret Thatcher said that no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he had no coin. You all know the story of the Good Samaritan. Guy doesn't know. This guy gets beat up and left on the side of the road for dead. The Good Samaritan comes along, picks him up, tends to his wounds, carries him into the innkeeper. And he could have just left him there because it wasn't really his responsibility. But he took out his coins and he paid. Nobody would have remembered the Good Samaritan had he not paid. Paid a price he did not owe for someone he did not know. Nobody would have remembered him. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And this is in every area of our lives. It's relationally, it's in our work, and of course it's in our finances. Now hear me, we don't give so that we can get, but that's just what happens. When you give, you do get. God promises to bless us when you give. He taught me at a very young age about this whole sowing and reaping thing. There was this pair of shoes that I wanted. Man, they were some sweet Doc Martens. If you've ever wore a pair of Doc Martens, they have bouncing soles. Man, they feel great. Big chunky heel and a big buckle on the side. I loved it. And I wanted these pair of shoes. They were about $150. And, and I said, Lord, I'm going I'm to test you in this whole I just learned about sowing and reaping. I said, I'm going to try this. 
said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to make you buy me these shoes, but I, I just want to prove. I want to see. And I said, so if I were to sow and reap, what do I do here? He said, and he spoke to my heart and said, well, buy somebody a pair of shoes. So I went out and I found a guy who wanted a pair of shoes. He was a friend of mine. Not even going to lie about it. He was a friend, and I knew he wanted this pair of shoes. So I said, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to go and I'm going to buy you these shoes. They were like $70. And I didn't tell anybody else that I was doing that. I told him that I was doing it. Two days later, somebody showed up and had those shoes in hand for me, paid for them, gave them to me as a gift. You reap what you sow. Now you say, Aaron, so, so I need a new car, so I just need to give my old junker, and that's what I'll get. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. I'm not saying that we give to get. That, that's silly. But when you do give, you do get. You do receive. God promises us that. To give to get is the wrong heart. Luke 6.38 says, give and it will be given to you. That's God's promise. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So what measure are you using when you give? Are you giving generously? You say, well, I gave as much as the guy sitting next to me. Look, that's not what God's looking at. We know that for sure because we, we see time and time again where God looks at percentages. He looks at what it's costing you personally. Jesus is sitting in the temple and this little old woman walks up and gives a half a penny in the collection plate. And Jesus notices and tells his disciples, he says, that woman, she gave more than everybody else. And even all, all the people that were coming through were giving lots and lots of money. She gave a half a penny, and he said it was more than everybody else gave because that half a penny was all that she had. She gave all of herself to me. He honored that. So what's your measure like? Sharon, I want to be blessed. What's your measure like? It doesn't have to look like everybody else's. You don't have to give as much as everyone else. That woman certainly didn't. What's your measure like? If you want to be blessed consider it. At this time, I want to dismiss those that are getting baptized. If you're getting baptized, you may stand up and head out that door. Ryan will greet you, and he will show you where you need to go so that you can prepare. But as I close today, I want to bring the story back to the beginning, the one I told at the beginning, the lame guy at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? And I'm asking you today, do you want to be well? Financially, do you want to be well? It's a silly question because they are all going to say yes. But just like that guy, I think we're all going to offer excuses. You're going to walk out of here today, and you're going to have a bunch of excuses. Great message, good points, wrote them all down, not going to do a thing about it. Because I can't. Let me tell you something. Even though this guy offered Jesus excuses, Jesus just pushes right past it. He doesn't even wait for the guy to say yes. He says, get up. He says, get up. This guy's been laying there for 38 years. It's all he's ever known, maybe. And Jesus tells him to do something he's never done, possibly. Get up. He had to shake the dust off of his clothes, shake off his past and decide that now was going to be the moment if he would obey Jesus. And I'm telling you today that God is calling to his people, to this church, to those of you sitting here, and he is telling you financially, get up. Get up. It doesn't matter how long you've been this way. Get up. It doesn't matter if your family is broken. They've always been broke. Get up. Then he tells him to do something else. He says, pick up your mat. Now you need to know something. That was culturally a no-no. It was the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, they don't do any kind of work. You don't pick up anything. To pick up a mat that he was laying on would have been like, eh, you don't do that. You are in serious trouble. You could get thrown out of the temple. Not allowed to worship, which was everything to the Jewish people. 
because you picked up your mat. And Jesus says, do something that no one else is doing. Pick up your mat. And I'm telling you today that to do these things, to live your life in a way that honors God with your finances will require you to do something that no one else is doing, that very few people are doing. It is counter-cultural. It doesn't make sense. People will not cheer you on and be excited that you're doing it. And then he tells him one more thing. He says, walk. Something he had never done before, or, or at least had been 38 years since he had. He says, walk. And so he does, and I'm telling you today, you can do these things. You can walk these out. It will take time. It will take patience. It will take a plan. But you can do it today. Remember, I said in the beginning, I believe that it starts with a prayer, and I'm going to give you that opportunity now. But it will take you walking in repentance and walking these principles out for you to be able to live this life, this blessed life. So let's pray. First you say, Aaron, before we even talk about my finances, my life is a wreck you don't understand. Great. Maybe today, today can be your moment to shift and change all of that, to repent, to turn around and walk another way. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter who you've slept with. It doesn't matter how many drugs you've shot in your arm. It doesn't matter where you've been. God says today is your day to turn around and walk away, to walk a different way. And if that's you today, if you're here in this room, it begins with a prayer. And you say, Aaron, I want you to count me in on that prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't need to come up front. But I'm going to ask you, if you want me to pray with you today, right at your seat, just shoot your hand in the air and let me know that you're here. And I'll pray with you. Anyone else? Thank you for your honesty. I'm going to give you the words to this prayer. You can just say them in your heart or say them out loud, whatever you need to do. But this is your moment to be changed. You say, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came, lived a sinless life, died a brutal death on that cross, and rose from the dead all for me to forgive me, to grant me forgiveness, to grant me a new life. Jesus, give me your Holy Spirit teach me how to live for you and I'll spend every day doing just that thank you Jesus amen now Father I lift up the rest of this congregation today Lord those that are willing to be honest with themselves and say I have made my finances a wreck but today I'm going to get up today I'm going to pick up my mat I'm going to do things that nobody else will do and I'm going to walk different than the way I came in here today. I'm going to spend my money differently than I've been spending it in the past. I pray, God, that as they do that, you will put your hand upon their lives and give them strength. Give them wisdom. Give them knowledge and insight, Lord. Give them creative ideas on how to accomplish that in their lives so that they can live a life that is honoring to you, Lord. Help them make a plan. Lord, help them act their wage. Lord, give them the opportunities, God, to save and help them be givers, Lord help us, Lord. We all need this help. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.